Say hi, Wesley. Hey, fat boy. Hey. Yeah. Do you like these guys? What's up, dude? You want to be quiet during daddy's sermon? Maybe? Maybe? So this is the guy right here, baby boy number three, and he's treating mama and daddy very well. And uh, you guys have been very kind to give him lots of gifts. You want to stay right here when I preach? You want to do that? Okay, we're going to pass him off to mama right now, but that's Wesley, just so you see him right there. What is this thing? Who did, Justin Zwizak, you did this, didn't you? Typical worship leader. Yeah, I'm sure. I bet. I bet. Well, it's good to see you guys, and I'm scared that there is a piece of paper towel here with something. Oh, okay. I'm assuming chocolate-covered bacon, caramelized bacon. I guess I should eat it. My mom told me never to eat snacks that were left. Somebody tell me. Who did it? Who left it? Come on. Speak up. Forever hold your peace. Don't be ashamed. If you did something nice for a pastor, it's okay. What is it? Candy bacon. Okay. So I know they're the source and I can eat it now. Sounds good. Well, it's good to see you guys. Um, we have before us an awesome opportunity to study the Word of God tonight. And how many of you have been here over the weekend to hear the, the Your Role in the Harvest series from Pastor Mike? A lot of you hear that? Okay, good. What we're going to try to do tonight is to connect the two and see if we can't uh, make them very applicable. Um, but I think sharing our faith, when we share our faith, it can be hard. <laughs> Sometimes I, I think you could say it's, it's awkward at times to share your faith to somebody who has no idea or no context for anything in the Bible. It can be difficult to do that. And it can be awkward at times. Uh, my recommendation to you uh, to get started is just to go up and do it. I know sometimes it's not pretty. Sometimes it's, it's awkward. Sometimes it's, it's, you know, you say some stupid things. But the best way to do it is just to get in there, get involved, and you begin to learn from that. How many of you remember the first time you asked out a girl? How many guys remember the first time they asked out a girl? Okay. I still remember it to this day because it was that bad, okay? I remember there was, there was this girl. I will not say her name because I know you could look her up on Facebook. So there was this, name, there was this girl, and I won't say her name, so I hope it doesn't slip. Uh, there were rumors going around that she liked me. And, you know, before text messages, how you found that out was through notes, right? We would pass notes that were folded in weird ways, and people spent way too much time on that. But there was, there was rumors that this girl liked me, and so I didn't know what to do, and I, I'd never asked out a girl before. So literally, this is not figuratively, literally, in the midst of the hallway of school, I grabbed her by the shoulders and pulled her to the side. And I said, do you like me? I asked her. <laughs> and she, the look on her face was just priceless. And she was, she was like, uh, y yes, yes. And I was like, okay, do you want to go out sometime? It's like the most awkward conversation you could have. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could tell she wanted to leave. So she left and didn't return any of my phone calls. So <clears throat> I began my dating career much like Steve Urkel, but I would like to think I turned into Stefan Urkel, if you know what I mean. Anybody watch that show, right? Come on. Who would have thought you would have come tonight to hear a Family Matters reference in the sermon? That's what I can provide for you. I mean, if you take a look at my pretty wife there in the back, I think I began to do okay when I talked to members of the opposite sex. 
Because over and over again, I tried and failed, tried and failed, tried and failed, but finally, it began to work. I'm going to say evangelism, for you, is going to be a lot like that. You know what? You're going to go up and you're going to say some stupid things. You're going to go up and you're going to have an awkward look on your face. Your palms are going to get sweaty and you're not, you're not going to know what to say. But the more you do it, and the more reactions you get, and the more questions you get, the more comfortable you become, and then all of a sudden, it's almost second nature, in a sense, to be able to talk about Christ and to be able to proclaim him. What I think we have here in 1 John is a great example of what you can do as you begin to share your faith, as Pastor Mike has challenged us, to have a role in the harvest. So if you turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 6 through 13, we're going to see how we can have a, a, a better witness and be better evangelists for Jesus Christ as we go out into the world. I would think most of us would say we're scared or we have trepidation when we share our faith because we're nervous that we're not going to have all the right answers. I think we feel that, and I can feel that at times too. I'm I'm not always sure what I'm going to say, but I think that places a little bit too much emphasis on our role in evangelism, which I say we should be prepared and we should know how to give a defense. But ultimately, if it is God who awakens hearts and opens eyes, the more that we are faithful the more he is going to bless that. So let me show you how I'm going to connect it to. Look at 1 John 5, 6-13. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these three, uh, these are the three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater than this, Um, because he has borne the testimony concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning the son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that this eternal life is in his son. Whoever has the son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And what I hope you noticed as you read this portion of Scripture and as you did the homework, you noticed that this idea of witness becomes one that is very, very important to John. This idea of a testimony, of giving a defense of, of the faith is very, very important to John. In fact, I think it's something like over 40 times in the Gospel of John, the verb or the noun of this form of witness appears. And in the epistle of John that we have before us, First John, eight times the verb or the noun appears and six of them are in this this section. So John is very confident in his witnesses, okay? I think the reason when you and I go out and we share our faith is we're a little bit timid because we, we're not so confident in our witnesses, okay? In fact, I think we treat ourselves more like witnesses than we do defense attorneys. And I'd like to challenge you to, to switch your thinking, You're afraid that if you go out and share your faith, you will be like a witness that the prosecuting attorney is going to come and they're going to ask you a question and you're going to mess up on the stand and it's going to blow everything apart. I would challenge you though, don't think of yourself as a witness that somebody's putting on a stand. Yes, they are the prosecuting attorney, if you will, making accusations that Christianity is not true, the Bible cannot be believed, but you are not a witness. What you are is a defense attorney. And you have every right to bring questions to them and you should have just as much confidence in your witnesses as they do in theirs. And oftentimes, if you get into a conversation, don't get so scared that you won't have the right answers, but just point out that their defenses have nothing really to do with the conversation. You have a better chance at winning uh, a person over to your side. So let's get it down this way. Number one, 
Let me show it to you. If you're going to be a better uh, evangelist, if you're going to have a better role in the harvest, you need to trust your witnesses, okay? Trust your witnesses. John, in this section, is very confident in the witnesses that he has that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, I will grant to you, and we should focus on the fact that in this section, John is talking to a Christian community who are trying to be swayed by false teachers on the outside. I get that. But that doesn't mean that we can't take the tactic in and of ourselves and as we're trying to focus as a church as a whole to go out and share our faith, that we can't use the same thing that John does right here. Because he is very, very smart to bring witnesses that cannot be refuted as he's trying to argue against these false teachers who are bringing their witnesses for the people to make their decision. We've got to be very confident in our witnesses. Don't think of yourself as a witness being put on the stand, you are a defense attorney and you are going to bring witnesses to the conversation as well. Look at, this is what John does. He says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but also the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. He's bringing these witnesses to prove that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, let's just talk briefly about what these different elements are because throughout history, many pages and uh, ink has been spilt on what these different topics are, okay? Uh, In fact, I'm going to give you two that are probably the wrong view and the one that I think is the correct view. Very godly men, such as John Calvin, has believed that these two witnesses, the water and the blood, are in reference to the Christian's baptism and communion. That's what some people will say. I don't think that's what the text is about. One, because I don't think you can find anywhere in the New Testament where communion is referred to as just the blood. So I don't think you can make it say that. And also, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which are ordinances in the church, are not designed to be witnesses to go out and to defend the the faith. They are designed for us to show that we are participating in Jesus Christ. We do them in remembrance as Christ said. So that's not even their function to be defensive. So I don't think that that's the right view. Secondly, even from people as far back as Augustine, they've said, okay, well, the water and the blood are a reference to John 19. And if you just write down John 19, that's where Jesus is on the cross. He dies. Soldier comes in, takes the spear, and blood and water come out of his side. And so they're saying, this is what John is trying to throw back to. He's trying to throw back to that. Again, I don't think that that's the case. One, because I think if John were trying to connect the two, he would probably put them in the same order. And if you look at them, they're in different orders. It's the blood and the water there. Here it's the water and the blood. And in John 19, it was John who witnessed that. And here it is the blood and water that are the witnesses. So there's just, there's differences that I don't see. What John is doing, again, is he's refuting false ideas about Jesus that are being promoted in the community and the false teachers around them. And one of the false teachings about Jesus was this, that Jesus was merely a human person. There was Mary and Joseph, and they had a kid together in wedlock, and his name was Jesus. He was just a normal human being. This guy got baptized, and when he got baptized, when he came up out of the water, the dove came on him, and that's when he became the Christ at that point in time. And so then from that point in time until right before his death, he lived as Jesus Christ, the God-man. But then, right before his death, the Spirit of God left him and just a human being died on the cross, just a normal human being. That was one of the views of the time. I think Serinthius would have been the guy's name who promoted this at that point in time. So John, what I see here, is going and saying, hey guys, you need to take a look at this because Jesus 
was the one who came from heaven and through the water, his baptism, through his death, has always been the son of God. Notice how this is set up in verse five. Who is the one who overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God, is in the present tense, meaning always the son of God, never at any point in time was not the son of God. Now into verse six, this, Jesus, this is he, present tense, who came by or through, you can translate that word, through the water and through the blood. He's trying to refer to Jesus as one who is the eternal son of God, who came into this world by the presence of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit testifies. The Spirit causing the conception in Mary, always being the God-man, not just when the baptism was and not leaving when the death came. He has always been the Son of God and he is one who we must believe in. Any other Christ is from a different religion. And so he's going to these events to show, look, Jesus has been this the whole time. The same way that he did in chapter one when he said, hey guys, I was with Jesus I know this Jesus. I know what he said. I'm an eyewitness. You've got to trust me that this is the right Jesus. So this is why I say you've got to be confident in the testimony of your witnesses. John was. He knew that when you went to the baptism, that wasn't him becoming the Christ. He knew that when the death was, it wasn't the, the Christ spirit leaving him. He knew over and over again that Jesus was God the whole time. Ultimately, what does the text say? Because it's the testimony that comes from God. John says, we accept the testimony of men. How much more should we accept the testimony of God? I'm giving you witnesses of the spirit, the water, and the blood. And you should believe those just like you take two or three witnesses in a human court. This is about God being true and every man being found a liar. So why I say this is John does a great job here of saying that faith is not just an abstract concept that you're supposed to hope in. I think it was a Huckleberry Finn. It might not be. Somebody tell me out there, some, some educated, I say, nerdy person, who, uh, who said this, um, faith is believing in what you know isn't true. Was that Huckleberry Finn? Yeah. Mark, yeah, who said, who said that? You're right? Okay, thank you. I know you're smarter than I am, so I will trust you, okay? People say that that's what faith is. I believe in what I know is not true, but John's saying, no, faith is knowing. It's definite. I understand this. This is who Jesus is. I'm confident in the witnesses that I'm presenting. So now for us today, as I'm saying, we're going out in the role of the harvest. If you're gonna go out and you're gonna be a defense attorney versus the prosecuting attorney, you better come ready with your witnesses and be just as confident as John was or else you're gonna have no hope of winning an argument. I mean, these are arguments that we're having with people and you need to go to them as a defense attorney who has done his homework who has tested the witnesses, who knows their reliability so that as you go out, you're ready and prepared to do this. Here's just, I think, four that you should be confident in, okay? Four that you should be confident in. Pastor Mike said two recently in a sermon. Predictive prophecy, right? You should be able to point out from Old Testament to New Testament the reliability of the Bible because of predictive prophecy. You should be able to do that, okay? Secondly, the resurrection, Okay? You should know how to defend the resurrection as a historical event that people are going to have to deal with. Okay? And there are various great books to do that in. Pastor Mike, I think before I got here, I think it was Easter 2010, I think one of the sermons at Easter at the Bren was five defenses for the resurrection. You can go on Focal Point and find that. Many books in the bookstore about just historical validity of the resurrection that people have to deal with. 
So you should know that as one of your witnesses when you go out. The reliability of the Bible, okay? And people, this seems to be a hot topic today. Uh, I just had a conversation recently where I was sharing the faith of somebody and this was their big deal. I cannot trust the Bible. It is not reliable. Their <laughs> argumentation, it was written by men and men can make mistakes. And so you say, okay, well, if men can make mistakes, then you could be mistaken in your assessment of the Bible, correctly? And you say that to them, right? Because it is true. If, if all men can make mistakes, then you could be mistaken yourself, and you should at least be open to a conversation at that point in time and not just dismiss me because men can make mistakes. You should be open to a conversation. Finally, uh, the consistency of the biblical worldview. You should be ready to defend that. That should be one of your witnesses because when you bring either a postmodern or some secular worldview to the front, you can show how that worldview is either not lived out fully or that if you live it out fully, that it's logically inconsistent. But the Christian worldview is very consistent with itself and there are great resources for that. So I would encourage you, if you want more confidence to go out there as the defense attorney and to not feel timid like they're gonna put you on the stand and you don't know what to say, you will be in the discussion I would have these witnesses ready to go and study them, okay? We'll talk about how to do that in a moment. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, much better to be a shouting Christian than a doubting Christian. Now, what he meant by that was this. Not that you are the one with the megaphone out there shouting uh, at the non-believers like Pastor Mike was talking about a few weeks ago. But he was talking about this. He said, it's better to uh, not be hunched over and like this in a conversation where you look like a question mark almost. You're like, oh, I don't know. Stand up like an exclamation mark. Don't look like a question mark. Stand up confident like an exclamation mark in the conversation because you know and you've tested and you tried the witnesses and you know what you believe. It's much better to be that than to be one like, oh, I'm not sure what, if I believe that or not. Be ready as you go out and do that. So I really like how John sets that up. He, if he's going to argue against the false teachers, these are my witnesses. These why I know they're true. You've got to deal with them. And that's exactly what we do when we go out and share our faith. But the second thing that's going to make you really great is a little bit of an introduction from that Rogers quote is found in verse 13. If you take a look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm writing these things to you. So you have confidence, you have assurance that you know that you have eternal life. And guys, confidence in your faith and, and, and a life assured that God has changed you and made you into a new creation is a great defense for what you believe in. So let's get it down to number two this way. Let's live assured of your salvation. Live assured of your salvation. I guess it's ironic Many people read the book of 1 John and it causes them to doubt. I mean, it just casts doubt on their Christian faith. Maybe some of you during this whole book study have said, wow, uh, is my faith as real as this is? But that's not John's point. His point is to strengthen your faith and his, his point is to, to build your confidence so that you know that you are a Christian and God has changed you and the realities that you say you believe in are making a difference in your life. I love this about John. He's very clear, much like he did in John 20 when he told us, hey, this is why I'm writing the gospel of John so that you may believe in the Son and by believing in the Son, you might have eternal life. Well, here he's saying these things, not just the previous section, but the whole letter. These things I'm writing to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's about assurance of salvation. Now, I think 
if you just want to paint broad spectrums overall, these would be good categories for you to look at to make sure you're walking in assurance. First one would be this. Do you believe the truth that John is talking about? You want to have assurance of your salvation? Do you believe the truth, the doctrine that John is teaching? Over and over again, that's what he says. I've got the spirit of truth. Here's the spirit of error. This is what is true. Do you believe it or not? Do you believe the doctrinal truth that John is presenting? If you do, you should have some confidence because you understand what your relationship to God is based on, not your works, but the work of Jesus Christ, propitiating the wrath of God and welcoming you in. But then you also understand that that leads to a transformed life. And this is category number two, obedience. You understand that you can live assured that you know that you believe this stuff when 1 John 2, 3 says, I know that I've come to know him when I keep his commandments. So I'm going to gain some assurance that what I believe is true and that it's really uh, my own set of ideological truths that I trust in. When I obey them, when I do what they say. And again, people just, I don't know, they get so caught up in obedience and they, they get so, they cast dispersions on it. I hope you'd never look at obedience that way. I hope that you look at obedience as obedience to a father who loves you. As First John says, he, Jesus is our advocate with the father, a father giving us commandments that we should follow because he cares for us. It's such a great verse. I've been, uh, we read through the uh, Deuteronomy and the DBR. There's a section that I've been trying to memorize now because it stuck out to me in chapter 10. One of the statements he says is, Israel, what does God require of you except that you keep his commandments and statutes which he is giving you to this day, notice this next phrase, for your good. God commands you things, as we looked at last time, not burdensome, not for you to earn your salvation. He is giving you commandments for your good because he is a loving father. And I hope that the parents in the room will at least recognize this. That when danger is close by or danger is imminent, parents desire obedience from their children to a much higher level. Would you agree with that? When danger is imminent, parents long for obedience to be so close and meticulous. I've been taking you know, my kids around when Andrea wasn't allowed to, to drive the, from the C-section. I would take Miles and Trent and we'd go to the store. Okay? And we go to the store, and when we would come out to the parking lot, there are cars there that cannot see little kids. When I shout commands, Miles, stay here. Trenton, don't go there. Watch out for cars. When I say those commands, they are not burdensome at all for my sons. They might not like them at that point in time, but they are not burdensome. I am giving them those commands for their good because I, as the father, Know the imminent danger of cars that cannot see them right there. You, as a Christian in this room, should know that the culture you live in is full of imminent danger around every single corner. And if you don't believe that, you're, you're naive. If you don't believe that you could turn on the TV and within 20 seconds find something that could lead you into temptation, you're naive. That's why God commands us, be alert, be watchful, be praying, be doing this, because he knows with the imminent danger around, if he doesn't give us these commands, we are tempted to go towards things that will hurt us. But God gives commands for the good of those that he loves. So that's why when we take the doctrinal test, do I believe it's true? Yes, but do I follow the, the commands of my father? 
I should, and I should not look at them as a legalistic me earning my status, but this is God who loves me and cares for me and has done this for me and knows that it's for my good. So truth, obedience, and maybe the final section, do you love? Right? How many times have we seen that in John? Do I know what real love is and do I love other people this way? When I take a look at those three areas, I can gain assurance. And if I lack assurance in any of those areas, I know why you doubt your salvation. John's saying, I'm giving this to you so that you may know that you believe in the Son of God and that you know that you are a Christian. And when you have that, you have a great assurance and you give a great witness to the truthfulness and the testimony of the Bible. Now, this is a marriage ministry. Thinking about all this, being confident in our witnesses, testing them, knowing them, and living a life of assurance, this is how this plays out in a marriage. Maybe consider over the next two weeks, we don't have Thrive, considering taking your neighbors, invite them over, non-Christians. You invite them over just for a meal, and because you guys have sat down and listened to Pastor Mike's sermon about the resurrection, you invite them over, have a nice meal, but then just begin to talk to them about what Easter means for Christians. Hey, Easter's coming up. You guys do anything special for it? Oh, okay, yeah. We're, our church is a big deal because we place a lot of hope and emphasis in our religion on the resurrection itself. Have you guys ever thought about that? And now you've just opened up the door for a conversation between you and your wife and two other people that doesn't seem like, you know, confrontation at the spectrum or it doesn't seem like door-to-door evangelism. This is in your home, just being kind and sharing a meal with someone, getting a chance to share your faith in kind of a low-impact environment. Then when you go to work, you have maybe better training because you've heard some objections that people have brought up. You've done a little bit more research. You feel a little bit more confident. Now when you're at lunch with your boss, you're not so intimidated because you've shared your faith before. And you tell your wife, hey, sweetie, be praying for me as I go to work because I'm going to share my faith with this person. You've got a great team with a husband and a wife. And if you guys are unified and you believe both of these things, let's use the two together to have a great witnessing force as we go out. And when we do this over the next couple of weeks, we'll be obeying what the scriptures, and as Pastor Mike has been showing us, we'll be participating in the harvest that God wants us to go do. So let's take to heart these messages and let's use them for God's honor and glory. And let's head to small groups right now. Let me pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for this look at your word. And I pray that it would transform our lives. Thank you for the witnesses that you've provided us. And God, just as John trusted them and showed that that is how we know that we have eternal life, God, I pray that we would have that same confidence to give you glory. Lord, would you give us a great time in small group and might we have some profitable discussion for your namesake. In Christ's name we pray, amen.